Are you going to take the Pakshi Trullo and Mahakala initiations tonight and tomorrow night, she asked. I hope to, but I shall have to inquire what is required. Yes, you have to put your name down in, off in advance at the office. Good luck. We made our farewells and I walked off to the office. Good luck? I wondered why I'd need good luck, but I soon found out. I asked the dowdy middle-aged woman wrapped in a felted maroon cardigan at the office. She wore her hair with a fringe and bobbed just below the ears. It always struck me as peculiar when adults adopted the hairstyles of children, but everyone was free to make their own choices. You will need to have completed the chariot nundro and be practising chakrasamvara. Those, she almost sneered, are the only people allowed to take these empowerments. And if Akong Rinpoche is not your lama, you would need the permission of your lama to take the Mahakala initiation in any case. I replied that I had completed Nundro, but that it had been the shorter and the longer Dujumter Nundros. I explained that although I didn't practice Chakrasamvara, I did practice an equivalent Nyingma Yidam. As to my lama's permission, that was also impossible to obtain at such short notice, as Kyabje Dujum Rinpoche lived in Nepal. You won't be taking the empowerments then, will you? she replied, in a ridiculously superior manner, as if she were a teacher addressing a schoolchild. No, it would appear not, I smiled. Sorry to have troubled you. I replied, and the woman stared at me blankly for a moment as if I'd spoken in a foreign language, and then continued with something else that required her attention. Annie Chuying passed me in the hall and asked how I'd got on. I'm not qualified, I replied. You have to have completed the chariot for travelling the path to freedom, Nundro, to take Pakshi Trullo, and I haven't. You have to have been practising Korlo Demchog as a Yidam to take Dorje Bernakchen, and I'm not. You also have to have your Lama's permission for Dorje Bernakchen, and I can't exactly ask Dujum Rinpoche for his permission without going to Nepal. Oh, I see. I had the idea that you'd have completed Nundro. I have, but... Not that, Nundro. Does it matter? Apparently, yes. Did you explain? I did explain, yes. I told the lady that I'd completed the shorter and longer Dujumter Nundros and the Kandro Tugtig and Troma Nundros, but that did not qualify me. Oh, that's complete nonsense. But I suppose that's how they have it organised. I'm sorry. It's all right. I can't expect to walk in here as a Nyingma and presume I'd receive what people receive who committed themselves to the Karma Kagyu school. I've attended the Vajra crown ceremony twice now and I'm extremely happy about that. I've also received the Urpagme Chenrezig and Guru Rinpoche Wangs so I'm really delighted.
I think it would be avaricious of me to be put out because there were two Wangs I wasn't qualified to attend. Annie Churying smiled wanly and said, I'm glad you don't find it disheartening. Well, I'm not disheartened in any peevish sense, but I can't say I'm not disappointed, as I would have found it massively inspiring. The main thing, I suppose, is that I probably won't allow it to weigh me down, or not for long. I've found there's no purpose in regret and recrimination. When you're wallowing in that morass, you miss the show, the magnificent display of reality that's constantly performing. Annie Churying smiled, nodded her appreciation of what I'd said and left to attend to whatever it was to which she needed to attend. I went to sit in the library to see if I could find the book by Helmut Hoffman again. I found it and there was Ling Tsang Gyalpo again. I wished I could photograph the pictures as they were entirely wonderful. Maybe one day I'd find a copy of the book. I'd had standing search requests with George's bookshop in Bristol and they occasionally found out-of-print books for me. I'd not been gazing at Ling Tsang Gyalpo for long when Annie Churying appeared. I asked Linnea, the woman you saw earlier, about the initiations and asked her why it had to be the Kagyu Nundro. I said to her, Nundro is Nundro. They all contain the 100,000 practices and this is all that is required. But she said it had been stipulated by Galwa Karmapa. That's very kind of you, I must say. I'd offer to take you out to dinner with a fine bottle of wine, but I don't think that would be appropriate. No, not quite, but I appreciate the thought. This sort of thing, this ridiculous exclusionary mentality, is all too common. It makes me quite weary. I sometimes wonder... But never mind. Quite so, never mind. As Nundro means before beginning, I guess I'll have to begin the begin all over again. And then I burst into song with a parody of Begin the Begin. When I begin the begin It'll bring back the sound of mosquitoes in Boulder. It'll bring back the fright of the pain in my shoulders. Annie Churying burst out laughing at that. When she regained her self-possession, she said, Yogi, bluesman and stand-up comedian. I don't think I can respond to that, apart from adding that I'm also a poet, artist and biker, I laughed. No, I'm really just a jack of all trades and master of none. I just follow my nose in terms of whatever I find inspiring. If I'm anything, or if I was to say I was anything, it would be that I was a Nyingma and a disciple of Kyabje Dujum 
All the rest is phantasmagoria. Your humour will stand you in good stead though, because you need humour to deal with so many things in life. Yes, that's certainly true. Humility too. No, certainly not humility. I don't believe in humility. Annie Churying looked a little taken aback by that. So what does that mean with regard to your earlier self-deprecation? It means, for me, it means that I've seen so much false humility that I wish no part of it. I feel, in some respects, that arrogance is more honest than most humility I've seen. At least arrogance is simple and direct. That's an interesting point of view. I see what you mean. But you don't sound arrogant from what I have experienced of you. I smiled at this. You've not doubted that I'll keep my word yet. Were you to doubt my word, you'd not just see arrogance, you'd see hubris and the most hideous hauteur. I chuckled. Be that as it may, I see arrogance as being as pretentious as humility. Both are postures. I'd rather simply exist without having to instruct people as to how they should view me. If people tell me I'm good at something or other, I thank them. I don't contradict them. If people tell me I'm bad at something or other, I say I try my best and leave it at that. So you're not being humble when you say you're a jack of all trades and master of none? No, that's not humble, that's simply factual. Annie Churying laughed at that. I don't think that I quite see the difference between humble and factual. Humble to me would mean not accepting praise when it's offered. I see it as ungenerous to the person offering praise to undermine it by denying its validity. It's like an accusation of flattery or sycophancy. I wish there was a word that simply meant lacking in arrogance because I don't see absence of arrogance as humility. Well, not in terms of what humility has come to signify all too often. What about unpretentiousness, modesty, meekness? Yes, I could also go for decorum, restraint, discretion, propriety, appropriateness, politeness, gentility or simplicity. In fact, I'd opt for simplicity as the word I'd prefer. I don't see self-effacement as simple, unless one's making a joke or being factual. You've really given this some thought, haven't you? Yes, I laughed. Now comes the arrogance. I give everything like this a great deal of thought. I feel that language is a powerful tool and 
needs to be used with as much precision as possible. I've worked consistently over the years to develop a large vocabulary, one that allows me to be as subtle and meticulous as I'd wish to be, but I still have a long way to go. When I say I have a long way to go, I'm not being humble. English is three times the size of the next largest language and I can't say that I know even a tenth of its vocabulary. Annie Chuying was now wearing a somewhat intrigued expression, so I continued, In spite of that, I would hazard the guess that I might have a substantially larger vocabulary than anyone at Sami Ling at this time. Coming from you, Annie Chuying laughed, I can understand that you're being factual rather than arrogant, but it's a narrowly defined position. I think I prefer the safety of restraint. I can see that humility can be false and that it can be ungenerous to anyone who offers praise, but the line you take requires a very high degree of attentive awareness. Do you think that this is the difference between the monastic vows and the Nakpa vows? I mean, the monastic vows are there to keep you safe in a way, so being humble or modest means you can't make mistakes so easily. I pondered my answer for some moments. I think you're entirely correct. I also think I'm adult for not having seen that this is a question of yarners. So thank you very much indeed for that. I thought it was just my personal angle, but of course it's simply an aspect of Vajrayana in terms of the commitment to awareness in the moment. It also links in with another aspect of the difference between Sutrayana and Vajrayana. Can you elaborate? I was thinking about the safeguards in respect of Sutrayana. From my studies at the Tibetan Library of Archives and Works with Geshe Nawang Dage. I'd like to ask you about those studies, but first I want to ask you why calling yourself adult isn't humble. Now I had a huge grin. Because it's simply a fact. However, I may not be adult in the same way again. I may not have been adult at other times. And I wouldn't let being adult on this occasion define me as adult on all other occasions. It is, in fact, important to be able to see myself as adult in order to cease being adult. It's only in the moment that I see myself as adult that I know I've overcome doltishness in respect of whatever area of field of experience it might be. Then I can cease to be adult. Annie Churying smiled through this explanation. I must say that this is one of the most engaging conversations I've had for a long time. So what would you say about Sutrayana and Vajrayana in this context? Well, what hit me immediately was remembering Geshe Nawang Dage's teaching 
on avoiding negative situations and negative people in order not to provoke negative primary causes. He emphasised that one should attempt to surround oneself with positive secondary causes in order to make the most of one's opportunities in terms of Dharma. The Vajrayana point of view, particularly in terms of Dzogchen, would be not to avoid anything. This would be in order that one could face all one's negative primary causes and either transform them or self-liberate them. So you would deliberately seek out negative secondary causes then? No, I grinned, shaking my head. I don't have to do that. Negative secondary causes come at me like heat-seeking missiles, I laughed. As I said before, maybe I should have opted to be a monk. I know that being a monk or nun isn't easy, but it's far simpler. The engagement with everyday life, which is what Kyabje Dujam Rimshe encouraged, is a minefield of opportunities to make one blunder after another. Not that I wish to pry, but could you give me an example of a blunder? A blunder. Well, one blunder is the very aspect of me that you thought might be an advantage. My sense of humour. Witty rejoinders spring to mind all too easily. And although I don't always give voice to them, they're there. Sometimes the most sarcastic, acerbic, mordant or caustic responses are there immediately. I never actually say anything nasty to anyone. I can control my speech. But sometimes I say things that are needlessly clever. Sometimes these responses are not even understood. But I don't like the fact that badinage seems so instinctive. For example, Dick Taylor, the head of graphics at Bristol Art School, is a rather unpleasant, self-important man, not well-liked by most of the lecturers. In the first term of the degree course, he gave a long speech in which he was dismissive of the fine art leanings in illustration. He saw graphic design, of which illustration was a subset, as a communication science. What upset me about this was that Derek Crow, the principal lecturer of illustration, was implicated in this derisory critique. Now Derek Crow is a lovely man, warm, kind, enthusiastic and closer to retirement age than Dick Taylor. So toward the end of this lengthy speech, Dick Taylor must have realised that he'd been laying down the law a little too freely and said, Still, graphic design is a broad church and I wouldn't want anyone to think this was a dictatorship. So, without a pause, I said, Sounds more like a dictatorship. What made matters worse was that a fair few lecturers burst out laughing. 
That was fast thinking, Annie Churying chuckled. I don't think I could come up with something like that quite so immediately. In fact, I don't think I could do that even given time. Besides which, I would not have been brave enough. Thing is, it's not even bravery. It happens too quickly. I don't consider the consequences. He was undermining Derek Crow, and I was simply impelled to come to his defence.